folks. Glad that you are here on your way in. You should have been handed the notes. If you want to grab those in just a minute, we will jump into the uh, second message in our Christmas series. Before you do that, though, I want to make a quick recommendation. A good friend of mine named Mark Heikola goes to our church, wrote a book. Um, title of the book is called The Dead Bride. But if you were just to walk up and see the title, you might not pick it up thinking, I don't know that I want to read a horror story. It's not a horror story. It is. Uh, Mark came here. Does this story sound maybe familiar to you? Mark came to this church as a legalist, and God used JFC to bust him out of legalism, and the guy preaches grace like you can't believe it, so he writes a book about what God did for him, and he gives me a copy of the book, and I read it, and here's what he did. The 11 chapters are 11 of my messages. He just took them and turned them around. That's what he did. So I can recommend it on two levels. Number one, the material in it is awesome. You should get it for that. Number two, here's what I thought. Uh, I, I think Mark's story is probably uh, fairly indicative of a lot of people that come to our church. And Mark managed to put into words what I think a lot of people would like to, and that's that experience of being raised in legalism and coming out of it and the difficulty of coming out of the leaven of legalism into the grace of God. And this book is one of those books you might be in that place right now or struggling with that issue. Get this book. Now, here's what we're doing. It's not a JFC thing. Mark didn't ask me to do this. He never, he did not say one thing. I saw the book, was praying about it, and the Lord told me to do this. So I called him and said, could I sell your book for you? And the guy's like, yeah, I think that'd be okay. So he wants $10 for it. It is not a JFC product. Therefore, in the lobby, there is a table. It, he's running it. It's at all of our campuses. Uh, you make the checkout to those guys. You don't make it out to JFC. You make it out to them. It's not a JFC product but I'm endorsing it fully, and it's my idea to do so, so therefore that's why it's being done. Now, maybe you're sitting there thinking, I wrote a book at one time. Pastor John would be the perfect person to endorse that book. I would only do it if the Holy Spirit tells me to do it. I always reserve the right for that. Amen? Okay, that's fair. So, uh, without any further ado, let me welcome all of our campuses, not just here at Lone Tree, Highlands Ranch, Lakewood, Castle Rock, those that are live streaming right now, those that are listening all over the country and the world in different places at different times, welcome to White Elephant. It is our Christmas series. I want to thank, first and foremost, Pastor Evan for teaching last week. Evan, hey, listen, listen, listen to this. I'm able to, uh, I tuned in, live streamed Evan, was listening to him. Here's, here's what I'm able to detect with our teaching. Some of our guys are, in fact, two of our guys sitting here tonight, uh, Marcus and, um, and Evan are, are very uh, academic when they teach. They're very, they're very smart individuals. And they teach very academically. And I enjoy that. Now you've got Dan, DJ, and myself who teach with great emotion when we teach. Not that we're stupid and just emotional. <laughs> but we tend to teach just kind of from the hip. Whereas those guys, and here's what I like about it. God has put together a tremendous teaching team of, of very well-rounded um, um, desires. So that it reaches a lot of people. And I love that. It's a, we have a very eclectic church, and the teaching style that we're able to offer is able to reach a lot of people. But Pastor Evan and Lakewood Campus, right now, you Lakewood people should go crazy for your pastor because he is, he, here's Evan. They're already busting at the seams at Lakewood. They're busting at the seams over there. We don't know what we're going to do in the near future, uh, but they are busting at the seams, and we are so happy for that. But that is true at Castle Rock, and that is true at Highlands Ranch. And uh, it's true at about every service except 3 o'clock on Saturday. So, yeah, yeah. 
And th- if you go to three o'clock, be, be thankful because it's a nice one to come into and have a little bit of room. Uh, just in your notes, want to say this too this weekend. I just got back from Israel. And if you've been paying attention, some of you might think, well, what a scary time to go to Israel. It was the best time I've ever gone to Israel. My 10th trip, here was the deal. I contacted three families in our church and I said, uh, in 2013, we have thir- three major projects that we are, are going to be doing message-wise that are going to evolve around Israel. And I raised the money outside of the budget to be able to, uh, to, to do this. And so um, took four people to Israel. Now, here was the deal. The, the ceasefire happened two days before I jumped on the plane to go to Israel. They had an 85% cancellation rate so that when I got to Israel, nobody was there. <laughs> nobody was there. We had film permits that allowed us into places I had never been before in 10 trips. So not only did we get to go to places we had never been before, nobody was there to stop us from being able to shoot anything that we wanted to shoot. So starting at the first of the year in January, we're doing a a series called Believe on the Miracles of Jesus. And some of them take place right around the Sea of Galilee, and we shoot it on the Sea of Galilee, talking about what Jesus did here in the spot. I think it's going to be a tremendous enhancement to, uh, to all of our campuses for the teaching. And then God did something so supernatural while I was there, that you're going to have to wait a few minutes for me to tell you the story. So we'll hit it in just a second. Let me just jump into this, our series tonight uh, on the idea of white elephant. Uh, we're going to be talking about generous, or I put it this way, give it. And I put a few thoughts down when it comes to the idea of give it at Christmas time. And these three things, see if you can relate to it. They're filling the blanks. Number one, the best season to talk about generosity is Christmas. Why? Because God so loved that he, that's the first one, fill it in. We usually use that one for Easter time, but Easter is the celebration of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Christmas is the celebration of the fact that God loves us so much that he gave the ultimate gift. Years and years ago, we recommend this for all of the people who we do their weddings in our church. We recommend that they read the book, The Five Love Languages. And the premise of that book is that in the world, it doesn't matter where you're from, and it doesn't matter who you are, that in the world, people speak one of five love languages. I'm going to try to remember what they are real quick. Uh, Acts of service, uh, words of affirmation, touch, time spent, and gift giving. One of those five are, you will find that in your marriage, your spouse speaks one of those languages. Here's the deal, though. You never marry a person who speaks the same language as you. So your spouse may be trying to tell you over and over again that they love you by speaking their language, because that's the way that we, the way that we express it is the way that we receive it. But if you don't marry a person, if I married a person who spoke nothing but Chinese, so that I don't understand Chinese, but they were telling me over and over again in Chinese that they love me, but I don't understand what they're saying, how many of you think that we might never ever be able to really move close together? Because I might think they're cursing at me rather than telling me that they love me. And sometimes that's the way that it is. I think this is interesting. In reading the book, The Five Love Languages, God's love language, I think he speaks all five, but I think his main love language is gift giving because when God expresses love, he gives. God so loved that he gave. So I think that it makes sense that this time of year we talk about generosity. We talk about giving. Number two, can you agree with this statement? We are most like our father when we act like our father. We are not most like our father when we tell people about what our father does. We are most like our father when we act like our father. Do you agree with that? And last but not least, how about this statement? Give away what you want because what you sow is what you reap. Doesn't it make sense? If that is a true, listen to this. Certain laws are universal 
and do not matter if you are a believer, a Christian, a Jew, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a nothing. It, it's certain laws, God made them universal. Here's one of the laws. It's called gravity. Watch this. I could have said, I don't believe in gravity, but it would not matter. Yes or no? Certain laws are universals. What you give away is what you receive. If you are a jerk, you receive jerkness back. If you are a generous person, you receive generosity. If you're a merciful person, you receive mercy. If you're a loving person, you receive love. Certain laws are, regardless of your belief system, in effect, and you live by those laws. Does that make sense? Okay, if that's true, let me say it one more time. If the universal law is true, what you sow is what you reap, then the way to look at it is this. Give away what you want. Does that make sense? Give away what you want because what you sow is what you reap. Let me tell you how this works in my life. Chris and I are, are very opposite people. I just said that when you look at that book, The Five Love Languages, you'll never marry somebody who speaks your same language. Chris and I found ourselves um, as on opposite sides. How about this? We, how do I explain this? Uh, we, if we had any problem and we sit down and we decide how we're going to solve the problem, we never solve the problem from the same direction. Anybody else like that? I used to fight with her about that because I thought her way was wrong and she thought my way was wrong. Now I appreciate the fact that she can think of a way that I can't think of, and it's actually a strength. And we laugh about the fact that we are so different in the way that we solve problems. However, here's where it comes to be an issue. Uh, she is a Christmas fanatic, and I'm not. And I turned into Scrooge. After almost 30 years of marriage, I may, my wife loves Christmas, and I have gone to great lengths to tell you what my house, I, we had a Christmas party, 100 people at my house last Sunday night. I kid you not, 100 people. Every 15 minutes, I had to sneak off to the bathroom just to find peace and quiet. <laughs> my staff looked at me and said we could see how painful it was for you. My, it is, I am not good in crowds where people are coming at me. Boom, boom, boom. I held a plate of food I never ate. I moved, it took me, God is my witness, one hour to move from one side of my kitchen to the other side of my kitchen. My, my friends who are sitting here tonight said, please eat it. Just, just, we won't, we'll just stand here and protect you while you're able to eat. And while they tried to protect me, people came from the flank and got me and I couldn't eat. It is a very difficult thing. My wife is completely energized by that. I am completely de-energized by that. So I made it where it was miserable for her to try to celebrate Christmas in my house. Yes, and acted like a jerk and made it totally ridiculous for her to set up and to decorate. And these very things that I'm teaching you right here on the idea of what Christmas is about and the idea that we are to be generous and we're most like our father when we act like our father, God has done that in my life so that now I love Christmas and I go around singing Christmas songs and my wife stopped me this week. She said, what has happened to you? I said, you happened to me. You happened to me. Jesus in you happened to me. Give away what you want. What you sow is what you reap. So I make it possible for her to throw parties for 100 people to come to our house. And I make it possible for her to decorate to her heart's desire so that it looks like winter wonderland when you walk into my house. Any person at my house last Sunday night, yes or no, it looks like a magazine, doesn't it? It is the most amazing thing you've ever seen in your life. She is absolutely incredible. I just write checks. That's all I do. Now, now, 
Let me just move into this because here's what I would talk about this weekend with this message. I'm going to use uh, the gospel of Luke. We're going to go Luke 1, Luke 2, Luke 4. However, Luke 2 and Luke 4, you're going to have to flip in your Bible. I know some of you are like, I didn't bring my Bible. I, I just look off the notes behind you or what they hand me when I walk in. You're going to have to trust me then that Luke 2 and Luke 4 say what I say they say. Did you catch that? Am I fired up or what right now? Three things on the idea of give it. Number one, let me talk to you about God's gift of good news. Luke 1, 26 through 30. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, one of the descendants of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one. I want to stop for just a moment. The Bible mentions in the Old Testament and the New Testament Two archangels. Anybody in here can name the two archangels that the Bible mentions in both Old Testament and New Testament. Who are they? Michael and Gabriel. I ought to do a study on angels at some point. The Bible says that we are to be careful to be uh, hospitable people because we end up entertaining angels and we don't know it. I wonder if that's ever happened to us and we don't know and when we get to heaven we'll meet an angel who thanks you or questions you. Detlef, is it possible? That's what the Bible says. It says, be hospitable because folks have entertained angels unaware. They do have the ability to take on human form so that when they come as angels, here's what happens. Men fall down to worship them because they're awesome. And angels have to tell men, don't worship us because we're not God. But they can take on the form of men. And when they take on the form of men, you can't recognize the difference between an angel and a human. They do have that ability. Now, the only reason I throw this out to you is here we're talking about an angel that the Bible mentions in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Gabriel has a unique position in the kingdom of God in that Gabriel stands next to God. Can you imagine? Here you and I believe something that only by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, our imagination can even grasp what God would look like. And even that, we assign a human form to God, which is very iffy. But Gabriel stands in the presence of God, and his job is to be dispatched by God himself. He's God's right-hand man to bring messages to the earth. Can you imagine what Gabriel knows that you don't know? So that Gabriel is dispatched from the throne room of heaven to a approximately 15-year-old nobody in a town nowhere. And he begins by saying, Blessed are you, you highly favored one. I would say to you, anytime... God wants to contact you. The message would be you're blessed because the King of Kings and Lord of Lords wants to contact you. Would you agree with me? That any, <laughs> here we are, I don't know, nowhere, nothings. And the message of God tonight would be, blessed are you because I want to contact you. I want you to know who I am. I know who you are. And I have a message for you. You're blessed. 
In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, one of the descendants of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and coming in, the angel said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement, kept pondering what kind of a salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. I don't know if you are aware of this, but God a few months later, dispatches Gabriel right back to earth. In Luke chapter 2, we find a really interesting story in Luke chapter 2. If you've got your Bible, turn there. There are a bunch of shepherds in a field. And the angel Gabriel is dispatched to Mary to tell Mary that you are going to become pregnant, even though you're a virgin. And here's the most amazing part. The seed that you're going to carry is going to be God himself. That's the angel, Gabriel, who says this. Gabriel then goes back to heaven. We don't know what he does in the meantime. Maybe God had a few more assignments for him. But the next time Gabriel shows up in Scripture happens to be Luke chapter 2. And in Luke chapter 2, we find that Gabriel is sent to a bunch of shepherds in a field. And it says in the same region, this is Luke chapter 2, verse 8, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Anytime God dispatches his presence to people, it comes in the New Testament with the idea, it's good news. I bring you good news tonight. God is not angry. God is not mad. God is not disappointed. In fact, I've got three points for the first part of this message. Number one, here it is. God knows everything about you, and he loves you anyway. My second point, God knows everything about you, and he loves you anyway. My third point, God knows everything about you, and he loves you anyway. How do we know this to be true? Because in Luke chapter 4, Jesus stands up. And in Luke chapter 4, Jesus, in his first public ministry, is in a synagogue, and he's handed the scroll from the book of Isaiah. Jesus opens up the scroll, and he begins to read, and this is what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the good news. All interaction with God in the New Testament has one message behind it. God is not mad. God is not angry. God is not out to get you. God has already taken out all of his wrath of our sin against Christ. The Bible tells us in Colossians, all of the offense that was against us, the handwriting of sin that was there testifying that we were sinners has been taken out of the way, having been nailed to the cross of Christ. The only thing left then is the good news. Why is it that the people who are supposed to know the good news can't tell the good news to the rest of the world anymore? Why do we tell the bad news? Why do we dwell on everything that's wrong with people rather than the message of God that he sent his son to proclaim good news? I will give my three points to you again. God knows everything about you, and he loves you anyway. God knows everything about you, and he loves you anyway. God knows everything about you, and he loves you anyway. And if you don't get that, you don't get the gospel. You don't get the good news. You don't get the importance of the message of Jesus. It's not that God is mad. It's not that God is upset. It's not that God is, hey, he's been out of shape about everything going on in earth. God knows everything and he sent Jesus to take care of it. So all that's left, celebrate. If you're reconciled to God, 
celebrate. If you're not reconciled to God, then that's the message we bring to people that God wants to be reconciled to them. That's good news, yes or no? I love that message right there. In my mind, when we're talking about generosity, everything we talk about then is the very Spirit of God. All of God's interaction with man through the new covenant is good news. He loves you. He knows everything about you, and he loves you. How about this? The second part, God's gift of visitation. Luke chapter 1, 31 through 37, the angel then continues the story with Mary this way. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for, I'm sorry, and the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month for nothing will be impossible with God. That scripture is probably the worst translated scripture that you have in the New Testament. Now, the NASB in the last sentence adds the literal translation that nothing shall be impossible with God. But if you were to take that scripture and render it literally word for word from the Aramaic into English, it would go this way. The angel came, announces to Mary, you're going to bear the son of God. Mary asks an honest question. How can this be because I'm a virgin? The angel answers, it has nothing to do with anything of this earth. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. The power of God will overshadow you and you will conceive supernaturally. Your son will be called Jesus. Okay, all the different things there. Mary says, how can this be? The angel's answer in actual translation is this. No word from God is void of power. What that means is, if God speaks it, it already has the power to fulfill the prophecy that's being spoken upon it. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to say anything. You don't need to make anything happen. If God said it, it's going to happen. Okay. 11 days ago. I got to go back farther than that. Four years ago, 14 years ago, I came to plant a church. I was 34 years old. And I was in great shape. 14 years later, I had the hell beat out of me. And if that offends you, I don't mean it in a literal way. I mean it in a spiritual way. No idea what's gone on in my health in 14 years. My back, <laughs> I'm about to tell you something that is so miraculous. I don't know how to explain it except to say it. Four years ago, my back went really bad. And I have a sacroiliac, which is the joint in your lower back that began to deteriorate. And every six months, I got shots with a needle this long, deep into my back. 
They would pump cortisone in it so that I could get up off of a table and I could function. But the guy told me, this is only serving to mask pain in your life. And it would hurt bad. So bad that I went to a doctor. And this is a bottle of oxycodone. Now, some of you don't have a clue what it is, but if you know, you know. The step past this is a morphine pump. It's heavy-duty stuff. Here's the prescription. Take one to two tablets every two to four hours. That's heavy. I hurt. I hurt bad. I've been on it for two years. Eleven days ago. (laughs) John chapter 5 tells a story of Jesus and a man who had been ill for 38 years. An invalid, the Bible says. He put himself by the pool of Bethesda because the story of the day was an angel would come down from time to time and stir up the water and the first one into the water would be healed. So this man is down there waiting at the pool of Bethesda to be healed. And Jesus comes on this man and the Bible says Jesus recognizes, it says he's an invalid for 38 years and Jesus recognizes he's been waiting a long time. And Christ asks the most incredible question. Do you want to be healed? The psychology behind that question baffles me. Isn't it obvious that he wants to be healed? And yet, here's what I know to be true. God never asks a question because he lacks the knowledge. God asks because he wants us to recognize where we are. Sometimes we become very used to where we are in life. I'm standing, I have a film permit that allows me to go down into the excavation of this pool. This is one of the reasons you should go with me to Israel in 2013. We go to this pool. It's one of the few places I can tell you Jesus stood right here because it's an excavation where you can tell this was exactly where the Bible described it. Archaeological proof when you go down there. But it's the first time I've ever been able to, in 10 trips, the first time I've ever been able to go to the very bottom to the pool. You go down about 50 feet. You're able to see everything. Terry's down there. We were shooting with two cameras, a still camera and then a moving camera. This time, just Terry and I went down to the bottom. It's a long way down there. Terry's taking video. I'm looking up at him, standing next to the pool, and I'm talking about what Jesus did at this place. Terry shuts off the video camera, turns around, he walks up. I turn around, I look at that pool, and I tap on it with my ring. There's a rail right there, and this is what I said. This is what I said. I don't know what I believe about this miracle anymore. Because I have asked, and I have prayed, and I have faithful people who have prayed, and my wife, my wife has lain on top of me and begged God to give me health. I have contemplated my resignation. I have contemplated what it meant. Thank you for giving me the money to do this. Thank you for giving me the money to do this. I walked up the steps. No lightning happened. I didn't take a dive in the pool. I didn't sprinkle water on myself. I walked up the portico with a jaded, ugly, a man who had been in a condition for a long time, who if God had said, would you be well, had to recognize that his faith wasn't going to make him well. That man said to Jesus, I have no one to help me in the pool. Jesus doesn't say, let me throw you in the water then. Jesus said, pick up your bed and walk. And after 38 years of not walking, the man instantly got up and walked 
Here's all I know. I walked up those steps. I went back to my hotel room. I sat down. My back didn't hurt. I thought, I do have pretty good drugs. Maybe that's what it is. The next morning I woke up, my back didn't hurt. <laughs> Friday came. I rode on an airplane for 15 hours, which normally incapacitates me for 24. My back didn't hurt. Saturday, my back doesn't hurt. Sunday, my back doesn't hurt. I go through a party with 100 people at my house. I had a headache, but my back didn't hurt. <laughs> Monday morning, I woke up. I was afraid to say, God healed me. I was afraid to say it. I went before the Lord, and I said, my back hasn't hurt now for five days. I'm dumping this medicine. I was afraid of two things. You take something for two years at a high level, at the very minimum, at the very minimum, you've got withdrawals to deal with. At the maximum, I dumped it down the toilet. Monday came. All day, it didn't hurt, no withdrawals. Tuesday, all day it didn't hurt, no withdrawals. Wednesday, I began to proclaim to anybody who would listen to me, I am healed. God healed me. God healed me. God healed me. Thursday came, Friday came, Saturday came, and I told the Lord, I will stand up and I will proclaim what you have done for me. I don't care if you judge me. I don't care what you think about this. I don't care what you think about any of it. I'm telling you the truth right now. You may have known somebody that you read about in the Bible that was healed. You may have known somebody in Africa that came back to life. I don't know about any of those things. Here's what I do know. 11 days ago, I was an invalid who couldn't heal himself. Today, Jesus touched my life, and I am healed, man. I am healed. And he didn't stop there. I can't, I can't even tell you yet. Because I'm monitoring it right now. And I'm afraid, I'm afraid if I tell you what's going on with me, you're going to go home and think, if I do that, then here's how I get healed. And I, that's not how you get healed. I can't build any theology around what happened. I, don't, I didn't have any faith for it. It was almost as I said to God, I don't know what I believe anymore. And God went, I don't care what you believe. Let me tell you who I am, stupid. And then all of a sudden, here I am. Now, you may argue with me, miracles died with the last apostle explain this. Here I am, baby. Here I am. And I will tell anyone who will listen to me. I met with one of my friends this morning. I sat at a table. I said, I have no tears left to cry. I, I can't even cry anymore. I have cried so much this week for what God has done for me. I can't even cry anymore about it. I told my friend, I said, I, I'm not even going to ask you what you think about what I'm saying right now. But here's what I'm praying, that God would do what he did for me for you too. That's what I'm praying, and I'm going to stand up, and I'm going to tell my church this weekend that God will do the same thing for you because he's no respecter of persons. And when he shows up, I don't know how and why and where and what. I just know that when he shows up, miraculous stuff happens. He's a miraculous God who visits 15-year-old girls, and the Son of God is born to mankind to save them from their sins, and he shows up in 2012. And he touches people who hurt. And maybe your issue is not physical. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it is something that you're dealing with. How about this? God cares. How about the message is that God is a healer? How about this? If anything I said just now pierces your heart, God is not a respecter of persons. 
What if Jesus asked you, would you be healed? What would your answer be? No. Stop. Would you be healed? Do you want to be healed? I mean, the psychology of it is baffling to me because I can't imagine anyone who would say no. But just like that man, what was your answer? Do you have something that's in the way of you being healed? Do you have an argument? I have a Savior. Do you have a reason? I have a loving God. What would you do with that if you were me? What would you do with it? I wonder to myself when I tell this story, how many people will doubt me as they sit out there? How many people will blow it off as you weren't really sick? If you knew how many doctors I was going to, if you knew the level I was at, if you knew the incapacitation my staff knew, And I wondered when I said it, how many people would doubt and how many people would reason it away. But this is what I told my friend this morning. There may be one person who was right where I was that I can help. And I was willing to do it. So I'm stopping a message at all of my campuses and I'm asking a question right now. Would you be healed? If Jesus asked that question, and he were here right now, would you be healed? What's your answer? Maybe you say, I don't have enough faith. What if God is just good enough that it's not about how strong you are, but about how great he is? Would you be healed? Would you be delivered? Would you be made whole tonight? Would you be free? I just felt like at that point I wanted to pray for anybody who said, Pastor, I'd be made well. God would do that for me. I'd be made well. So I need to Do something that, if you be made well, I need you to stand to your feet right now. I was afraid of this. I am not a healer. I'm not God. I'm a man. I'm a man who probably faces a few more demons than many of you. But I'm here to testify of a God who's much greater than those things. Just put your hands like this. Father. Kim. Kim, come here. Come here. I want you to turn around and look. 
Father, every man and woman that stands right now, I'm so humbled to pray for. God, I stand with my intercessor right now, and both of us together have no power. We've got nothing of ourselves to make this possible, but we do know the one who is able to make this possible, and his name is Jesus. And so I speak the name of Jesus over your life right now. Perhaps you were cynical like me. Maybe you've been a person who's been able to maintain faith for a very long period of time, and you're just sitting there rejoicing because finally you think my day has come. I don't care where you find yourself on that scale of cynicism or great faith. Here's all I know. God is a healer and a deliverer. He is a giver and he gives life to those who ask him. If you would be healed emotionally right now, then I speak over you emotional healing. I pray right now that that thing that has so entangled your mind would come to peaceable end. If you have found yourself being an observer of your life, no longer is that what God wants for you. You are not to be an observer. You are to be a participant in the middle of it. And I pronounce over you right now, it's your day of breakthrough. If you are physically sick, I pronounce over you the name of Jesus right now, that he is a healer and that he heals. He is a healer and he heals. And I speak to you healing. If spiritually, spiritually, the enemy has somehow won victory in your life where you're not even sure what you believe anymore. You're here because there's nothing to go back to, but you are cynical and you are cold spiritually. I'm speaking right now. The goodness of God over your life. I speak the life of God over you. I speak that God deliver you from that place and that your testimony is what mine is that I don't know exactly where and I don't know exactly how, but I do know who. He healed me. And I pronounce the healing of God over your life. I ask the Lord that he would parlay what he has done here into revival for our church. May he bring revival to us. May he bring belief back to us. May he bring possibility of the supernatural in every service we have. I pronounce that. I beg God to do that for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. You can sit back down. Absolutely. Here's what I want you to do. I want you just to go through the next couple of days, and I want you just to test and see what happens. Test and see. I just, I just found myself for the first four or five days testing and seeing, testing and seeing. And it was only after I just got going and going and going, and I knew that I began to proclaim. Last but not least, God's gift of good news, God's gift of visitation, our gift to God. We're speaking about generosity. Luke one thirty eight. Mary's response to the angel was simply this, Behold the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I know that God hears every prayer that we pray. 
But can you imagine Gabriel going back to the Lord and telling the Lord what Mary said? A little 15-year-old, uneducated Jew in a God-forsaken town, to be honest with you. The Holy Spirit shows up, pronounces this on her. She is confused. She is baffled. She wonders how it can be possible. But her final conclusion is this. Be it done unto me according to your will. God is generous with us. How about our generosity back to him? God, you can have me if that's what you want. Can he have you? Can he have you? Nancy, can God have you? If he asked tonight, I want you. That's the one thing I want for Christmas. Can he have you? Because I would tell you it's all about that issue right there. God's not into anything else. God's into you. God is into you. You want to know what his hobby is? Showing up in people's lives. He's a great interferer. He messes up funerals like crazy. Look at what Jesus did at every funeral he went to. He knows how to show up in the middle of the most awful conditions in order to bring life, doesn't he? God is into you. And if he asked that one thing, if I want to show up, can I have you? Your response to him should be one thing only. Be it done to me according to your word. That's the answer to generosity. Your will be done in my life. My statement for years and years was this. You can only give what you have. How many of you believe that? In the natural, it's true, isn't it? God doesn't work by natural law. He works by supernatural law. So that God limits humankind to certain universal laws like gravity. But God is not bound by gravity. I want you to pay attention to this. We can only give what we have. So we stand up here and we go, God, how do I even respond to a message like this? I've never encountered this before. I don't know what to do. Here I am. Here's how you respond to it. Be it done unto me according to your word. If God does it, you can give what you don't have. That's why you can be healed and it's not up to you. When I asked the question, would you be healed? I didn't ask you to get up and do anything. I just asked you, come to the recognition that you can't. What's in the way? You. God can. Nothing's in the way. Give yourself fully to God. That's being generous with him. Here I am. You can have all of me. Any church that allowed God to move that way would see revival week after week inside of its midst, wouldn't it? Be it done unto me according to your will. Do you believe that it's God's will to be good to you. I want to ask it one more time. Do you believe it's God's will to be good to you? You better believe it's God's will to be good to you. The whole message of the gospel, the word gospel means good news. It is God's will to be good to you. God's will. God's will. Father, every one of our campuses, every one of our locations right now, I pray that our people would grasp that understanding. You are a good God. You are a loving, awesome creator. You are mixing it up 
in the affairs of men today. You have not taken a vacation. You have not withdrawn yourself. You have not gone away. The election that our country just had did not cause you to pick up and move to South America. Father, you are right here in the midst of our people moving freely. You are moving freely. God, have your way amongst your people today. Have your way in every form. Have your way. God, our response to you is, be it done unto me according to your will. I pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All of our worship pastors are going to come and take us into a time of engagement with God. As they come and lead us into worship, here's what I want you to do. I want you to focus your engagement time on the fact that God is good. I'm going to encourage you to touch him on this issue of healing. Not to let what I said or what happened to me just be for me or just for a message. I want you right now, when we enter into this time of worship, when we use communion, when we have prayer, when we worship God, touch him and engage him over this issue right now. If you believe that God is good, if you truly believe that, then you have to believe that he acts in good ways, including God is a healer. He is a deliverer. He is merciful. He is forgiving. Engage him at that level right now. Say, God, I want to know you as good. I want to believe you as good. Worship him over that and engage him over that. Find out what happens in your life. Maybe your prayer should only be the simplicity of, be it done unto me according to your word. His word is, I have good news. I have good news. He loves you. Jesus pronounced in Luke chapter 4, at the end of his message, this is the season or the time of God's favor on mankind. That wasn't for his generation. It was for every generation up until the return of Christ that God is causing us to live in his goodness if we truly knew who he was. He is good. Go ahead and stand to your feet. Let's worship him over that issue right there.